Hi, and welcome back to This Week in Voice for Thursday, September the 14th, 2017. My name is Bradley Metrock. I'm CEO of a company called Score Publishing based in Nashville, Tennessee. Our sponsor for this podcast is Voice XP, blazing the trail in voice technology. Voice XP is taking the lead in developing Alexa skills for some of the best brands in the world. With Voice XP, all you have to do is say it to revolutionize your marketing strategy. And I fully encourage you to check them out at www.voicexp.com. We are thrilled today to be joined by two excellent, excellent guests. First is Lior Grebler. Lior, say hello. Hello, Bradley. It's great to be here. Lior, thank you for joining us today. Lior is CEO and co-founder of Unified Computer Intelligence Corporation, UCIC for short, a company dedicated to bringing voice interaction to hardware. UCIC's goal is to make this voice interaction with technology more human and natural. Lior, thank you very, very much for sharing your time and insight with us today. Thank you. Our second guest is Matt Hartman. Matt, say hello. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Thank you very much for joining us. So Matt Hartman is a partner at Betaworks Ventures and also runs the really cool weekly voice technology newsletter, Hearing Voices. Both those websites are linked off of our page. Hearing Voices, I believe, is hearingvoices.xyz. It's a great newsletter. You should definitely check that out. Matt, thank you very much for joining us and sharing your time and insight with us today. Thanks again. I'm, I'm excited to talk voice. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we got a lot of different things going on. Uh, also, uh, right off the top, and it will be our last story of the week, but we are pleased to announce that we have a uh, partnership with voicebot.ai, which is another uh, really great resource for folks interested in voice. Uh, I encourage you to check them out. We're going to have a voicebot.ai story of the week um, each week moving forward, which will take one of their stories that they have reported and highlight that for discussion. So Uh, We wanted to make sure to announce that as well. So with that, let's get to the news. Our first story this week is one that's sort of been growing and festering a little bit over the last few weeks, and it came to a head with a big CNBC article, which we've linked off of the uh, news page on thisweekinvoice.com. Amazon is looking to disarm, is the word on the page, muzzle, you know, reason with critics of its $100 million Alexa fund in the aftermath of a conflict they had with a company that had some technology similar to the Echo Show. And in this article, it's very interesting and I think rather unflattering. The CEO of Ring compared Amazon's involvement with the Alexa fund to nuclear radiation. Uh, in that, uh, you know, you need nuclear power and it's a a productive, uh, thing, uh, for the world, but, uh, you don't want to get too close because you don't know what's going to happen to you, uh, was the point he was making. And Matt, I'm going to start with you on this. How do you look at the Alexa fund yourself personally, especially with your role with, uh, Betaworks Ventures and share with us your thoughts as you, uh, looked at this article. So we do a lot of work with Amazon and Alexa and know the Alexa fund. I think there's, I, there's sort of two ways to, there's a few different ways to look at this, but on the one hand, I sort of find it, um, unrealistic that Amazon got a bunch of proprietary insights from, uh, you know, from, from making an investment in a, in a company that looks like this, did they kind of do something that was, that was not right. And the second is like, just generally, does it make sense to 
kind of work with a corporate investor. There are many corporations have venture capital funds. They're investing often because of a particular strategy. In this case, it's most likely, my guess is that, they're, that Amazon said, we want to make sure that as many voice-activated products use Alexa as possible. And I think they're pretty transparent about that. Um, I am sure, on the other hand, that as the uh, as an entrepreneur going in, you're you don't know how how people are going to in the company are going to want to interact with you, and so I think asking those questions up front and just having a transparent conversation about that probably helps a lot. There are some disadvantages to having a corporate investor, right? Their strategy changes over time. This year it might look like one thing, and next year they just may have a corporate decision that says we're not going to do this anymore, and so it's not it's not relevant to us anymore. One of the thoughts I had as I was reading the article was that. If you believe that Amazon, I hadn't thought about this before, but if you believe that Amazon could be a competitor, right? So that is a risk in starting the company, period. A question to ask yourself, it's kind of interesting, is all things being equal, would you rather have them potentially be on your side or not? I could make the argument either way. That's that's kind of, I think it's kind of up to the founder and up to how much money they are able to raise and whether they think there is platform, so much platform risk is, a, is I guess, another way to think about this, that it's worth having these... Worth having the corporation that's t- where the risk is associated be an investor. That's a that's actually a really good point because we've I mean we we faced that exact same issue a couple of years ago when we were you know, working on the Ubi, um, which was uh, you know product that uh, I guess was similar to the Amazon Echo, and then you know Amazon came out with the Echo, and we had to you know figure out you know whether we were going to try to compete or whether we were going to try to you know potentially work with with Amazon. And in this particular case, I'm not sure that the technology was the issue. I think the, the, the key advantage Amazon has is they have this retail site where they can put the product that they made on the front page and sell a ton of them, right? And so if they put their product ahead of everybody else's, I mean, they've, they've been fighting with Google over Chromecast. And it's, that's actually a big piece of where the advantage comes, having nothing to do with the kind of technology. Yeah, and uh, Lior, thank you for reminding me about uh, sort of your history with Amazon as well, as far as the Ubi and the Echo is concerned. And anyone who wants to hear more about that, check out that episode of the Voice First Roundtable. I think y'all's answers really capture sort of the murkiness of this. Matt, as you said, I think you're right. There's no right or wrong answer here. It's just very specific to every company's needs, whether they want to take money from the Alexa fund or or seek it or whatever. I do have a question that maybe one of y'all would know the answer to. If you're going to get investment from the Alexa fund, um, are you able to do that if part of your strategy is having a cross-platform voice application? I don't know from any inside knowledge at all whether that's the case, but I mean, we could look at a specific example with kit.ai. So Kit.ai, you know, they were an investment from from the Alexa Fund, and they they exited to uh, Baidu. So like that that definitely didn't stop them from being acquired by what could potentially be a competitor to Amazon in the voice space. I mean, uh, yeah, and and at the same time though, they're still functional. They're still they're still providing voice technology that could work as the Alexa trigger word. You know, they provided trigger software, but. Their stuff could also work completely independent of uh, of Amazon, so that didn't that definitely didn't affect them at all. The other the other thing too is I, I think like we we tend to treat Amazon like it's like it's it's one you know big conscious giant, and when in reality there there are a lot of players within Amazon, a lot of competing you know competing divisions, and you know I would see the Alexa Fund as being you know fairly independent from from the rest rest of Alexa, even though it's you know sharing the the word 
the word the, the name Alexa. So um, you know, I think it is still possible to get uh, involved with them and and work on a strategy that is also independent of Amazon, but potentially you know bring a lot of you know cachet to the companies that are uh, uh, that are working with with the fund. So all in all, at the end of the day, Amazon having this Alexa fund is a positive. Would both y'all agree with that? Right now, having more investment in the category will create more potential products. And so that is, that's good. I do think that the, this story is probably not a positive for founders who are sort of debating whether they want to, to raise money from them, but that's probably, could be a short term thing also yeah i think it's, it's definitely a good thing but more more so than you know any any potential negative drawbacks it's great to have more more money flowing into voice to develop new products cool okay so we'll leave it there and yeah that's my sense as well you know i mean amazon as we've spoken about before on this show for amazon to be leading voice technology in the way that they are because they do have a unique level of trust with the consumer that, that some of the other companies don't have cultivated a lot of trust with how they interact with customers and all the things that they've done innovating for customers. And hopefully they don't do anything with this Alexa fund that compromises uh, that reputation. We will move on to story number two. Uh, another Amazon story. Imagine that uh, Amazon is ramping up in China to take on Alibaba. The article that's linked here talks about a number of personnel types that they are hiring, including uh, engineers for Alexa. And Lior, I'll start with you on this. What did you take away from this article? And do you think Amazon uh, will be successful in taking on Alibaba? How do you see this front playing out in the overall war for voice? I mean, I had kind of a mixed reaction to, to this. Uh, my, my initial feeling was that this could just be a, a strategy to like a more of a defensive strategy just to keep keep Alibaba uh, on its own turf and having to to worry about uh, about you know keeping its market share there and, and not coming to to North America or some of the other geographies where where Alexa is um, is being you know being uh, released you know unless unless Amazon were to go out and kind of acquire a you know, I think a partner in 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 Asia. I think it, it will have a, a lot of you know difficulty um, getting into into those markets. I mean, there's a there are a lot of competitors that are already um, that are already there in voice and have been doing it um, even before the Echo was was you know released uh, widely released. So I think it, it it seems to me it's more of a kind of a defensive strategy to keep them out of out of North America. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that uh, about the defensive strategy piece of it. Uh, I had I sort of just assumed there's massive growth happening in China. Amazon is a company that's never sort of shied away from trying to to grow. They've done a really amazing job, and so I just wasn't surprised about that. I did wonder on the voice side. If you believe that to create a great voice assistant, a great voice interface, you have to have a lot of data and then learn from it over time and adjust your algorithms. I feel like the language issue, I wonder if they're starting from scratch. I'm just kind of was kind of curious if you guys had thoughts on that. Well, yeah, they would be far behind in terms of you know in terms of being able to to collect to collect samples. When when Amazon was developing the Echo, they had a few acquisitions that that kind of helped move them forward really quickly in getting technology that would help for for English based voice interaction. What I what I've learned is that they've they've done a lot of work in capturing of of voice samples. Like they had a large project that involved um, that involved getting um, you know using open source or openly available uh, tools, but but having to go and do the 
kind of the, the grunt work of, of collecting samples. You know, if you look at, look at Baidu, look at Alibaba, I mean, they've been in the space for so long. Look at WeChat, just using, you know, so, ma- so many more voice samples um, and like probably billions of additional ones every day. And with all the different dialects, I think it is, it is going to be a, uh, a bit of a, an uphill battle because you, you have to get to that level of word error rate you know, for, for the voice interaction to be a reliable enough for people just you know, put it in their homes and, and forget about the, the product or have it blend into the background. So they have a, you're right, they have a lot of work uh, ahead of them. Moving on to story number three, Google and LG are teaming up. I believe this has started now, and it's going through uh, the first week or so of October. What they're doing is for everyone who buys an LG smart appliance, Google is giving that buyer a free Google Home. And this is just another one of these marketing uh, strategies designed to increase the penetration of uh, the Google Home device. We're seeing a bunch of this. And Matt, I'll start with you. Is this a good thing for Google to be doing? Is this a bad thing? Uh, are you in favor of strategies like this? We're seeing a lot of them. Uh, what, are you, what are your thoughts? To me, this makes sense in the context of Google. Google's business model is put a search box as close to your face and now as close to your voice as possible. I believe they're the number two player. Alexa's clearly ahead. And so if they can get more devices out, more people using it, more searches will happen that are powered by Google. I'm, I think it's a smart move. I think it would be equally a smart move if they figured out a way to get the Google Assistant into a car, because when you're in a car, you might want to do searches too. This is just a, a marketing gimmick, get something for, for free when you buy an, an LG product, trying to trying to get them out as, as much as possible. But LG has just been like everywhere when it comes to uh, to voice. So I, I don't think it defines like a true partnership between LG and, and Google in, in any way just by, by them marketing this because they've um, they've looked at I, I, you know putting putting Alexa into into products. Uh, I remember it was last year at IFA they were giving they, they had a uh, a product called SmartThink and this was supposed to be a, a home hub. It was originally going to have its own voice interaction component to it, but in the end they just said, "Nah, we'll just put Alexa on it." And uh, um, they they made a big announcement that they were going to have you know Alexa voice service integration uh, in the product. They continue to make announcements around that, but it, I don't think it's actually ever you know been integrated into a product. What would have really been kind of a big thing is that if if they came around and said all LG appliances are going to have the you know Google embedded assistant. In it, it's not that you get a Google Home product and you can then control your, you know, your appliance. It's like it's built into the product. That would have been, you know, much more of a, a signal that, you know, okay, they're finally serious about uh, about partnering with with a company on on voice. I want to follow that up by asking a question that we discussed on the show several times. In a year or two, what does the average, the median home in the United States look like in terms of these smart speakers? We've had different people on the show, and there's all sorts of different opinions on it. But um, it's my sense that, especially in the aftermath of Amazon rolling out the functionality where you have multi-room audio, and this was just obviously recently, a couple weeks ago, you can link... Uh, as a group, all of your Echo devices to have multi-room audio, which is really, really uh, a phenomenal feature. 
So the question becomes, why, why would you buy a Google Home? Unless you're, unless you're invested in the Google ecosystem, you're not just going to diversify and have different ones because why would you do that when if you just need different ones for each room, you're going to want them all to be part of the same ecosystem, are you not? Because then you can take advantage of multi-room audio or perhaps other features that come out down the line. So my question is, in, in 2018, going into 2019, is ever, are most houses going to have a Echo Dot you know, 3 and a Google Home 2 and a, a Harman Kardon Cortana-powered speaker along with a HomePod? Or is Alexa going to continue to move and end up winning this thing? What, what's, what's y'all's vision for the future of what smart speakers are going to be in our house? If you look at historically how, how technology sort of rolled out, it start, the best experiences tend to be start out fully integrated. The experience of having two Google Homes in your house or two Alexas in your house is better than having one Google Home and one Alexa, right? Because those don't talk to each other as easily. So... I think that in the near term, the best sort of fully integrated experiences are going to come from a single brand. But that doesn't necessarily mean that Google wins that or, or, or Alexa wins that. So I think, but, but I think when you walk into a home, they will, have, they will have a consistent company that they are using. I think it's worthwhile to think about the company's overall strategies because who, sort of who's going to make the assistant that is best for consumers? If you look at Amazon's business model, they sell you things, right? Which is they make a really good experience for selling you and selling you things. Google's Google's business model is 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 answering your search questions and creating a really good consumer experience, and then charging people on the other side of that. And so, a question is, which one of them is going to be better at the machine learning that gets really good at recognizing what you want? Which one of them is going to have the incentive or disincentive to make a skill or an action that? gives you what you want and doesn't necessarily sell you their own product. I have a hard time picturing hard time picturing Amazon being okay if you with the Walmart skill being on Amazon whereas Google is indifferent. You can have an you can buy from Amazon, you can buy from Walmart, you can buy from eBay, I don't care. If you look at what Amazon did with Amazon web services, they were very democratic about it. So they it's a different they didn't care if you were building an e-commerce site on Amazon web services, they let you do it still, right? And so the question is to me, are they going to take that much of a sort of independent approach with Alexa, because if they don't, I think there's a lot of incentive for them to block things that, that are competitive. That's a definitely, you know, a good point, especially with households picking one product over the, the other, just from a user experience, it's annoying to have to, you know, refer to multiple personalities in, in, in the home, you know, whether you're, you're going to say Alexa and like, Oh no, no, this one's a Google home. And then, you know, uh, you have some other product, uh, you know, Hey Cortana or Hey Siri for, for HomePod. I think you're absolutely right, Matt, that like there's when someone picks, when a household picks a product, they're gonna they're gonna probably just expand on that on that given product. Um, from from a device side, if we're looking you know two years down, I think we'll we'll continue to see um, you know Amazon and Google and Apple manufactured products um, for for voice interaction, but we're going to see them more and more displaced by third party hardware. Uh, that is integrated with uh, with either you know embedded Google Assistant or you know or Alexa voice service, and what could be interesting um, is that we we end up having you know products that are uh, that 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 can have those multiple personalities that can be set to one or the other or potentially both at the same time uh, marketed to uh, to consumers, in which case the 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 war 
might actually be fought for the different um, hardware makers to put in the uh, service uh, for for Google or or Amazon into into their product. So maybe there'll be you know some some incentive for for a company marketing one integration over over the other. So that's where I think there's going to be an interesting war zone. Moving on to story number four. So a couple of weeks ago, we reported on um, the big news that Microsoft and Amazon had partnered together to allow Cortana and Alexa to talk to one another and all the different doors that that framework opens up for development and for voice uh, interaction. Well, we've got another story along those lines this week with Microsoft teaming up with Facebook to develop a common framework for deep learning, machine learning, whatever whatever term you want to use. And my question for the panel, and Lior, I'll start with you. So uh, it, it's two parts. Number one, you know, what, what did you take away from this article? Is this a good thing? Is this going to be helpful? Or is this sort of just noise? And the second thing is, you know, I've commented sort of negatively on Facebook on this show before, primarily because I don't feel like anybody trusts that organization very much. Is that identity of Facebook going to get in the way or is, is Microsoft, are Microsoft and Facebook doing really important work here? Yeah. So I'm, I'm really confused by Microsoft. I, I don't, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out a, a larger strategy for, for them and what, the, what they're up to because they've, They'll, they've worked on their own stuff and they've worked with, you know, they've worked with, with others. Uh, you know, they wanted to have this, you know, Cortana speaker with, um, uh, with Harman. Harman was bought by Samsung. They also, you know, they acquired Maluba for, uh, for natural language understanding. They have this, um, what is it called? Uh, Bing, uh, speech to text that they, uh, that they put up with for their own service. It's kind of like there's a lot of shots that are going, going out and, you know, Again, it was Microsoft and Alexa and, you know, Cortana speaking together. You know, the conclusion was that, hey, maybe this could work for a lot of office applications. But this, I... I, I don't know. I, I think may, maybe this this has to do with fa- Facebook doesn't have um, you know a lot of uh, services that are designed for uh, for enterprises to um, you know like like an AWS or or like you know Google App Engine. Maybe this is their t- attempt to uh, to try to expose you know some of their their infrastructure as a, a service to to take away um, you know potential. Um, areas of of, uh, of learning from from Google or Amazon. Yeah, I, I'm glad Lior got this one first because I was uh, I w- always look for sort of the competitive strategy reason why people are doing things, and I had like, whose interest is it for something to work, right? So it's obvious when Google does Android, what they're trying to do is uh, is is compete on a different layer, kind of commoditize what Apple's doing with iOS. I had a hard time seeing really with either company. Gets from this. I, on the if it's open standard AI, I guess you could argue that Facebook has data, and so there being more models is good because the other ones have the data and they can use that. But like, I, I don't know. I, I had a hard time seeing this one. Uh, also, I mean, the only thing I'll add is I do think that Microsoft ha- seems to be putting together a an interesting strategy around providing the kind of the the toolkit layer of what people are going to need in this conversational economy. So, and I mean, conversational both in text and voice and a lot of developers like the software they're building. I feel like they have a cohesive strategy on that side. I just don't totally understand why that would 
be consistent with promoting or with, with joining to promote kind of an open standard other than if it, if it benefits that kind of core strategy in some way. And it's just also noticeable who isn't in that list, right? If it's Microsoft and Facebook, it isn't Amazon and Google. And so why, why, you know, did they just, you know, they just decided the two of them made sense or is this a competitive thing that kind of helps them deal with, with some of their competitors? Story number five, which is our inaugural voicebot.ai story of the week. This is a story that Brett Kinsella over at voicebot.ai surfaced and is very interesting. They took a look at all the Alexa skills that are available now. I think the number is like 12,500, something like that. 62% of them have zero user reviews. None. Not any. (laughs) While four of them have over 1,000 user reviews. And at least the initial question for this discussion is... Uh, just give me a, a one-word uh, yes or no as, as to whether this finding is a positive for Amazon. And then tell me, and then elaborate on how you think this is going to play out and what you think this means in the longer term. And Matt, I'll start with you on this one. So my one word is irrelevant. I don't think it matters. We did. We built a, a product at Betaworks a while back called Home Screen, where we had people screenshot what apps run on Home Screen. So this is in iOS. The question was, how many, you know, what new apps can we see that people are using and will they share with each other? What we found was that we tracked 50,000 unique apps. Of the 50,000, 900 of them were on more than one person's home screen, right? So what that means is that basically there's a handful of apps everybody uses and then everything else, maybe you use one here or there. But if you think about Amazon strategy, what they want to make sure is that you use Alexa enough so that when it's time to buy something, you use it to buy it and Amazon services you. So everything else is just top of the funnel. And I think that's very comparable to to Apple's business model being we sell you phones and we're going to put a bunch of apps on there that we think are good. If somebody else builds a better one, great. But that's, that's like freemium for us. In the same way that Apple benefits from there being 50 good apps that I care about, whether that's Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, um, that everybody kind of cares about. And, and then the long tail of millions that maybe a few people like, and hopefully there could be an economy there. Um, that kind of is analogous to me of the, uh, of the reviews in Alexa. I happen to use Alexa mostly for its, I think many people use it mostly for its default features right now. I do think there will be some killer apps in there, but I don't think it is a negative signal that there that some of the apps or many of the apps or even most of the apps aren't killer apps. Yeah. I, I my one word answer and it's, it's negative. Um, it's, it's not good that that there's this this you know so many apps that are sorry skills that have been developed that are not um, not getting any users at all um, accessing them. But it kind of reflects a, a larger problem, which is around uh, skill discovery and even like accessing skills. There's, there's this is a like this is a problem that that Amazon will will need to address and fix like sometime over the next year because one is like I, I'm not surprised that you know you have uh, you know from from Matt's example like there there should be even a uh, you know a, a, a you know fatter head for uh, for skills versus um, you know versus apps because just discovering a skill. Um, takes a lot of effort. You have to go to Alexa Skills, and it's not the way that you're normally accessing the the device. You know, you're not uh, you're not accessing. Uh, you know, Alexa, what what are some great skills that I should um, I should access? 
Typically, it's because you found out about it, you know, or it was you just needed something, and it was such a problem that you had to go out and you had to to research what was the potential way of of doing it. The other problem is is that just the whole interaction with skills. Like right now, you have to invoke the skill in order to access it, and this is different than I guess the approach that that Google took with actions. In that, you know, if someone I guess, subscribes to an action, they don't necessarily need to invoke it in order to access it or subscribe to a skill. And this is really the kind of the, the approach that that maybe Amazon should take is that, hey, developers, you know, go out there, develop something, um, but we're going to try to drive, you know, people to access this particular um, skill that you've developed because it's something that could be really, really useful. I don't think that there's going to be, uh, you know, a million skills for for the echo. I think there is a natural limit for for skills that that we're going to reach uh, over the next few years, at least you know as as they are as they are today. So you know, Amazon's been doing a lot of effort to to build a, um, a a developer community and to really promote things and to run contests and to make skills more more interesting. And I think this will you know improve the the overall quality of the skills and and make for you know a longer tail. But yeah, there's a, a lot of kind of issues that 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 I think this this particular article um you know starts to shed light on i do think i so i agree with you Lior, that that the um in the it, it's kind of a question of for whom is it is it good or bad right so for amazon to me in the short term i in the short to medium term i don't think it's bad i think that people are using it for spotify and they're using it for cooking timers and they're using it for the weather and the news right that's Last true, that's things, true right? Yeah. but i do think i agree with you totally that for people who are developing for voice, the entire infrastructure around having intents and basically just getting a, a binary, not, well, not binary, but a response of, okay, here's the intent that was triggered or, it, or nothing was triggered versus actually getting to learn from how our users are behaving is, is a negative for voice developers because they can't make as good experiences. And so I think it kind of goes back to being bad for Amazon in the longer term when we go back to thinking, okay, five years from now, which, what are our houses going to be outfitted with? Probably not with the company that has uh, has not made it easy to create the most useful things, right? And so I kind of think about it as not mattering to Amazon's core business right now, whether whether they ultimately, it may matter to whether they ultimately win, but I think it's almost more of a reflection than a, than a driver. This is an interesting one. And I think the, the voicebot.ai article does a good job of showing the shades of gray on this. From one standpoint, if you're going to compare what's going on with Alexa skills to the Apple app ecosystem, I think that's a pretty apt comparison. It's really one of the main comparisons we have to make. It's not like there's been a bunch of companies in the history of the planet that have done something like this. Apple's obviously been the number one example. But the problem becomes the example cuts off halfway because you have no monetization. So you've got all these skills and you've got this Apple-like environment, or it's trying to be an Apple-like environment in many ways, but wait a minute, sorry, you can't sell your skill. And so I think that impacts the market to a huge degree in that, and it will vary based on the different genre, the different type of skill you're talking about, but an overall net effect will be a reduction of quality. That's an interesting point. Can I, can I make one kind of observation about it? Go ahead. The, it is a, Apple is in a way an anomaly um, in the discovery side. So I totally agree about the discovery being, uh, being an issue. In, in the iPhone 
you find apps for it by using the iPhone. In Windows, right? You found apps for it by going to like CompUSA and buying software off the shelf or like AOL mailing you a CD, right? In Alexa, I would I would say that finding a skill is much closer to the CompUSA example, right? You're not, you have to go into the Alexa app, which doesn't really make sense. And like, you can enable it on, on the device, but you can't really discover It's hard to describe a skill using words and you have to kind of listen to it. So discovery is sort of hard on voice. We saw the same thing happen with chatbots where people sort of assumed that if I was featured in the Slack store, if I was featured in the Facebook messenger app, that means that a lot of people are going to go there to find the thing. And the reality is that's not it's it's much harder. It's much less likely people are going to go to the finer thing if it's not natively in in the product that they're using. And so, what I've seen at least is that the companies that seem to be doing really well own their own marketing. And so, if you own your own your own marketing, you're less reliant on sort of this theoretical or hypothetical um, organic discovery directly from being like featured. I think that was that's. I agree with you that the analogy in the on the iPhone is flawed in that way. It doesn't help anything that Amazon has not communicated its long-term monetization strategy. Right now, all we've got is, hey, you, uh, you're making an Alexa skill for productivity, or you're making, uh, like the earplay folks, you're making an interactive experience or a game. If you do well enough, uh, guess what? A check's going to appear in your mailbox. If you don't, a check's not going to appear in your mailbox. That's pretty much where it is right now. And, Mm -hmm. um, uh, and it's a uh, replication in many ways of the Kindle publishing ecosystem that they put together, which in similar ways only serves a very small amount of people and frustrates many others. So it'll be interesting to see if they evolve from that, but certainly they're not communicating um, on this topic at all. And um, and that hurts. The other thing I want to mention here too, it's important to to note, it's 60, 62% have zero user reviews. So that doesn't mean zero uh, people enabling it. And actually, the voicebot.ai article, I believe, uh, mentions that there are some more, you know, some pretty well-known Alexa skills that have a very small amount of reviews related to how many you would think that they would have. And honestly, if you ask me how to leave a review for an Alexa skill, I wouldn't have any idea how to do that. I guess you do that in the back end of it. So um, so all of that to say, I think most people would agree, if you have zero user reviews, you're not getting a lot of action. But still, like we, were, we don't know everything that's going on there. But from, from where I sit, I, I think um, just to put a button on this, I like all the different skills. I, I hope there are a million of them. Um, I'm an entrepreneur at heart. Uh, you know, and I like to see that this entrepreneurial aspect of it, because if you're going to have a million skills, you're going to have like over half of those are going to be individual entrepreneurs trying to d- dive into the space and create something interesting. And I love that. I hope that that continues. But absolutely, in terms of the discoverability and some of this other stuff, they, they got a lot of work to do. So, gentlemen. Thank you very much for joining me today. This was fantastic. Thank you for sharing your time and your insight. You, you, you both are two amazing guests. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. So for This Week in Voice, September 14th, 2017, thank you for listening. And until next time.